From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sharita Brent, joined by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guests today are attorneys Barry Walker and Gabriella Ungo of Walker and Ungo Immigration Law Firm in Tupelo. Today we're discussing some elements of immigration law. We'll talk about what a refugee is and the asylum process. Plus, has the United States secured its border with Mexico? You can give us a call this morning at 877-MPB-RING if you have any comments or questions. That's 877-672-7464 or send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is a show all about you and your rights. I'm Sharita Brent, joined by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guests today are attorneys Barry Walker and Gabriella Ungo of Walker and Ungo Immigration Law Firm in Tupelo. And today we're discussing some elements of immigration law. We'll talk about what a refugee is and the asylum process. Plus, we'll answer some questions. Has the United States secured its border with Mexico? You can give us a call this morning at 877-MPB-RING if you have any questions or comments. The number is 877-672-672. 7464, or you can send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, professor and attorneys. Thanks for being with me this morning. Good morning, Sharita. Good morning. Hi, Sharita. Um, so, attorneys, we can start with you. Um, if you could just give us a little background information about how you got interested or involved in this particular area of law. Yes, uh, th- this is Barry Walker and I've been an attorney in Mississippi for about 40 years, and about half of that time, or a little more than half of that time, I've been in, involved in uh, in an immigration practice. And uh, most of my practice is uh, centered on employment-based immigration, and a large part of that is healthcare-related immigration. And we represent uh, high-tech companies, uh, hospitals, hospital systems. We represent uh, engineers, uh, software, uh, programmers, entrepreneurs, and um, right now in the United States, about one-fifth of our residents and fellows that are training to be uh, physicians uh, are graduates of foreign uh, medical schools. And uh, you see these, uh, you know, these foreign doctors uh, in your community and hospitals all the time, and we, in a large part of our, com, you know, practice is related to uh, representing those clients. Okay. Hi, uh, my name is Gabriela Ungo. Uh, I began practicing immigration law back in 2001. Um, I was my husband and I were Barry's uh, clients, and uh, we came to the U.S. in 1994. Um, what I did, when I decided to become, or just to practice immigration, uh, was at the time when I 
became a U.S. lawyer back in 2001. Uh, since I've been uh, involved in, in the immigration process myself, um, I just decided that I would serve my clients in the best interest of knowing personally what it involves. Um, I practice uh, family-based and employment-based immigration law as well. Uh, we've uh, represented researchers, nannies, uh, university professors, uh, uh, spouses of U.S. citizens, fiancés, uh, and a wide array of uh, immigration uh, or immigrants coming to the U.S. Uh, um, basically, uh, our practice is, is uh, employment-based and family-based. Thank you. Okay. Um, so the the topic of immigration and immigration law, um, it, it has always been at the forefront, but many feel like it has been more in the forefront lately because of the, the presidential race and everything that's been, been going on. And so uh, the purpose of today is to kind of get some clarity on some of the topics that are being discussed on the political front. Um, so we can start with um, the, the definition of a refugee and who is a refugee. So we can start with that question. Yes, Sharita, I, I thought it would be helpful today to uh, look at some of these uh, issues that are uh, sort of at the forefront of the news and, and not to take a position necessarily a, a one way or the other, but to provide some facts. Um, I'd like to talk about refugees and uh, asylees. Uh, a refugee is someone who has been forced to flee his country because of persecution, war, or violence. A refugee has to show themselves to be uh, someone who has a well-founded fear of persecution for reasons of race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. Uh, refugees are generally defined uh, or categorized as people who are outside the borders of, say, for instance, the United States, and they're seeking to uh, come into the United States the United States for many years has been uh, a member of uh, international conventions, which uh, are you know, agreements that countries will take in uh, displaced persons, uh, refugees. The United States ultimately determines uh, how many and uh, on what basis they're going to accept people uh, into their borders. An asylum seeker is someone who's much like a refugee. The only difference is that an asylum seeker is already here. They're either at our border, at a port of entry, or they're in the United States, either lawfully or unlawfully, and they are seeking uh, the right to remain in the United States because of a well-founded fear that they have of returning to their home country based on... Uh, uh, persecution because of race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership uh, in a particular social group. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to know that the current world situation with regard to refugees is probably as bad as it has ever been. There are about 65 million displaced people in the world. Uh, some of those are displaced within their own borders. We see a lot of this in Iraq and Syria, where entire cities have been rendered uninhabitable by 
bombings and by uh, by war, uh, about 25, I mean about 21 million of these people are refugees beyond their own borders. Uh, refugees from Syria, Afghanistan, and Somalia make up uh, the largest numbers of these, about 54% worldwide. There are about 3 million Iraqis displaced, and about 225,000 of those are refugees. So, so let uh, me the, ask you this. Mm-hmm. this. Does the United States have a duty to um, or, or just take on a duty to accept those refugees in the United States? And if so, if we do take on that duty, do we have a means to uh, accommodate everyone who tries to come here? Well, we have a duty under international law um, and um, under you know, principles of international law. Uh, safe and secure countries have some duty, uh, some recognized duty in international law to take in refugees, and we've acknowledged that by being uh, a signatory to uh, different um, uh, international agreements uh, with other countries. Ultimately, we have the right and the standing, of course, to determine who comes into our borders, and we have uh, some established Uh, agencies within the Department of State, for instance, who are responsible for accepting applications for refugee status, uh, ultimately uh, vetting or screening those people, and then of those who uh, are accepted, uh, helping those to uh, resettle uh, in in the United States. Um, So uh, I've heard that there's like a ceiling, um, you know, that there's a, a limit to the amount of refugees that the United States can accept. Um, is there uh, a figure for that number? Yes, we've set our own ceiling at 70,000 per year. In uh, fiscal year 2015, there were nearly 70,000 admitted, about 69,933 were admitted. Of those, uh, about 1,682 were from Syria, a fairly small percentage. Over 12,000 were from Iraq, and the highest number came from Burma. It was over 18,000 refugees came from Burma. Um, And so could you talk a little bit about the application process for uh, asylum seekers? You know, how long could it take? And and that vetting process, what are some of the standards that we have here in the United States? Well, I think it's important for people to understand that refugees and refugee applicants are really some of the most thoroughly vetted or screened people who are admitted to the United States. Uh, The United States uh, Department of State operates about uh, eight uh, resettlement support centers around the world where people can make application for refugee status. Uh, They undergo uh, an enhanced security screening, which is the joint responsibility of the Department of State and the Department of Homeland Security, and it includes uh, multiple U.S. government security agencies. I know that they go through a fingerprinting uh, process, and then those uh, fingerprints and biographical information are compared against multiple databases uh, that are maintained by the FBI and the, and the CIA and other security uh, agencies. And then before they are approved for refugee status, uh, they have to go through an in-person interview 
with uh, the, uh, the U.S. Uh, Citizenship and Immigration Service. They undergo a health screening to determine whether they have any communicable diseases. And uh, then they have to, to uh, the government has to be sure that they're going to receive a sponsorship assurance from a U.S.-based resettlement agency. And a lot of those agencies are private, uh, charitable, or religious-type organizations that help people resettle in, or, or, or settle in the United States. All right, we're going to take our first break of the hour. When we get back, we'll continue the conversation about refugees and asylum seekers and these uh, particular elements of immigration law. If you have any questions or comments, um, anything that you are unsure about, if you have any fears um, about this particular topic, you can give us a call. 877-672-7464 is the number. That's 877-MPB-RING. You can also send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent. Joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law and our guests today are attorneys Barry Walker and Gabriella Ungo of Walker and Ungo Immigration Law Firm in Tupelo. And today we're discussing some elements of immigration law. We're talking about what a refugee is, the reasons they may want to come to the United States, uh, the asylum process, and later we'll get to uh, the United States and whether or not it has secured its border with Mexico. But if you're listening this morning, you have any questions about refugees, about the asylum process, um, any fears or anything that you'd like to um, express or get some clarity about, you can call us at 877 877- Seven MPB ring. We do have a couple lines open. That number is eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or email legal terms at mpbonline.org. All right, we're going to go to the phones. Andrew is in Natchez with a question. Andrew, good morning. And uh, wait, I'm trying to press the button. It's not working. Okay, go. <laughs> Andrew, um, thank you for joining us. What's your question? Good morning. Um, question I have is with the recent events in Syria and France and Germany with the uh, refugees. Um, I'm a little concerned, as probably many fellow Americans are, about them coming over here, and I'm sure most of them are good, decent people, but as far as the terrorists and ISIS slipping through the cracks, I was wondering, does the government, in your opinion, or the lawyers, um, do are we really vetting these people securely? I, I just very concerned about that, and I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Andrew, for that question. Well, I do know that uh, all of our clients, 
even clients who have been lawfully in the United States for many, many years who have, you know, sought university degrees and obtained degrees and maybe they've worked in the United States, um, people who are applying for temporary visas to come to the United States, all of these people now are being screened pretty thoroughly. I mean, uh, they before visas are granted, even people who've had visas granted previously, they're now being interviewed in person uh, and they're going through these security checks. I think that the uh, refugee uh, applicants are some of the most thoroughly vetted uh, people who are allowed to come to the United States and I'm, I'm sure if you sort of put yourself in the position of, of these government officials who have the authority to uh, permit people to come to the United States, none of these career people want to be the person who gives the visa or gives the clearance to someone who ultimately proves to be a bad actor. So to the, you know, to the extent that we can, you know, humanly expect these people to be screened and vetted, I'm, I'm pretty confident that you know, if there are people slipping through the cracks, they're not going to come or not likely to come through through that avenue. And Barry, it seems like to me, you know, the other thing that, that is overstated, because you, you talked about 65 million refugees. You know, that, that's a lot of people displaced. Um, I think we have a much, you know, if we have a concern, if there's a risk in this country, it's from people who are born here uh, who get, become disgruntled with the country. And, you know, that's not an immigration problem. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I think it's overstated to look at people just because they maybe speak differently or come from a different country and a different context as being a problem. Another issue or, or another point to keep in mind is that most refugee applicants are families. They're people with, uh, you know, spouses and children, and they've been displaced from their homes uh, very violently and they're looking for a safe refuge. Now, one thing that the government does when they're screening people is, say, for instance, you have a young, uh, uh, unattached, typically an unattached male applicant. Many of those people are looking to come to the United States for economic reasons. They want to come to uh, find a better job. Uh, they want to get away from poverty. If that's their case, then they're not legally categorized as a refugee. They have to be fleeing persecution on some classified grounds. So um, some of those people are turned away. And it's more likely that if there were terrorists embedded within these groups that they're more likely to be an unattached, not necessarily, but more likely to be an unattached young male applicant. And the security people, they know the profile. They, they know what they're looking for. So that's part of the... Um, the interview process that's conducted. All right, we're going back to the phones. Greg is in Columbus with a comment. Good morning, Greg. What do you have for us? Uh, several comments. Uh, number one, when you uh, talk about aiding refugees and bringing them into a, uh, a westernized nation such as the United States, you look at an incredible cost. The same refugees, as far as in Syria, can be cared for in Turkey and in neighboring countries, you know, literally for several thousand dollars a year. Normally, that won't even get them through one month in the United States, as we all know. So the burden is tremendously high when you bring in refugees in our country. I don't think anybody is fearful of someone with a different culture or a different way of life, as long as it's a peaceful 
way of life. My biggest concern, as was the previous caller, when you look at Islam, and myself having been in Iraq for a year and a half, you cannot vet those people, just as we could not vet the people that were training for to be pilots over there. All you had to go on was a couple neighbors' words. There is no record process over there. The, you know, there is no fingerprints over there. Uh, these kids just show up, and the same with the families. Uh, we approved people to come over here, and then what the State Department did, I don't know with them, but they seem like decent people, just like you said, as far as interpreters. When you look at mass importation, and that's how I look at it and how most of America looks at it, or immigration of a culture 100% uh, uh, 180 degrees from ours that hates our freedoms, that hates our religion, that hates our schools, that hates our, the way our women are treated, i.e. liberty and freedom, that hates virtually everything about America. You get the same thing that happens in France, that happens in Sweden. We actually have places in Sweden where there's no, there's Muslims, no-go zones. The police have to ask for permission to go into that area. Can you imagine? And here we have the gullible Swedish people, the gullible French people. We see the violence over there. So many people have quickly forgotten who were piloting those jets for the Twin Towers. Islam is like nothing else on the face of the planet. It controls these folks' lives from in utero because they're hearing that call to prayer and other things throughout the day. Even before the sun comes up, I had to listen to it. And when it goes down, after the sun goes down, and I think about three times and throughout the day, there's nothing that they can do to escape that way of life. And when you bring in massive amounts of Muslim people, they hate Americans, number one. I'll let you know. They hate everything about us. And when they have families still back over there in these other countries, don't think for one instance that all of these people are peaceful people. They're not, because now we know who's back in Iraq. We know who's back in Syria. And those people who are going to start pulling those strings to cause violence, you'll have those people in America, in France, in Sweden, uh, whether it's Germany, and they'll start to do those acts of violence. Many of them, they don't want to, but they have to because then their families will be killed back in uh, those countries. So Islam is like nothing else. People think, well, it's just another, it's just another culture, and, and they're peaceful, and if we're nice to them, they'll love us. They won't. Okay, Greg, we're going to give uh, our attorneys a chance to uh, respond. Uh, first, can you talk about what he mentioned, uh, the, the financial burden of bringing refugees to the country? Well, with regard to refugees, that is one of the um, issues that the resettlement agency addresses as to whether there are, you know, American uh, uh, people and organizations that can help a refugee resettle. And, and part of the thing that they look to is to see whether there's financial support for these folks. Um, you know, anecdotally, uh, once these people arrive in the United States, we, we've seen over and over again. Uh, a lot of these people are, are very well educated, uh, especially those coming out of Syria and uh, Iraq. Uh, they, they are um, cultured people. Uh, they, um, you know, they are generally employed uh, typically within a few months of, of coming to the United States. And uh, I don't think uh, that, 
you know, my experience and, and from just looking at the information that I have it, that they're representing or, or, you know, any sort of tax burden uh, to the United States. And with regard to um, the, uh, the attitude of Muslims uh, coming to the United States, and again, I can only speak from my personal experience, but we have a lot of Muslim clients. And by and large, most of them come to the United States because they want to be able to uh, live in peace. Uh, they come so they can observe their religion because in their home countries, uh, perhaps they can't even observe uh, their own particular um, uh, uh, you know, religion that they have. Uh, we see people who come to the United States because a Sunni girl wants to marry uh, a Sufi uh, husband, um, and they can't do that in their home country, so they come here for um, for religious freedom, the same thing that people have always come to the United States for. Okay, uh, we appreciate that call. Uh, we're going to go next to Tony, who's in Arkansas, with a question about securing the border. Tony, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my question is, why uh, would anybody oppose just securing our border better between Mexico and the United States? given the current status of violence in Mexico and uh, large influx of people who just seemingly move freely across the border. All right, Tony, thank you for that question. Uh, we were going to get to that um, about the, the United States and whether or not it has secured its border with Mexico. Uh, so, attorneys, you can go ahead and answer that and, and maybe tie in um, the, the last caller's question as well. Yes, hi. Um, yes, I agree the border has to be secured and... Um, a CBP, which is Customs and Border Protection, is the U.S. agency in charge of protecting our borders. They uh, have hired a total of, of 60,000 employees. Uh, they handle the border security at port of entry along the U.S. borders by uh, agents for, from the Office of Border Patrol and by air and sea by uh, agents of Office and of Air and Marine Operations. Um, the, uh, they have a net cost of operations, uh, at least in 2005, of $13.3 billion, and uh, budgetary resources of almost $20 billion. Now, they use a lot of technology to secure our border. They use... Uh, remote video surveillance, they use drones, they use uh, integrated fixed towers, uh, imaging sensors, ground sensors. Uh, so the, the, uh, the U.S. has uh, put a lot of effort and resources securing our border with Mexico. All right. Uh, we have a caller on from Meridian um, who wanted to respond to a caller a couple calls back. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Good morning. Um, Yes, a couple of calls, uh, the caller, and um, I just want to clarify something that um, I heard. Uh, First of all, yes, my religion is Islam, and um, what I object against is, or have a, well, not object, what I hate to see or hear is that a blanket statement, or what are other generalizations being made for all of us. they, I do agree with some of the things being said. Just because I'm a Muslim does not mean that I condone um, 
a lot of the acts around the world and in our country. I'm a proud American. I'm a proud citizen of this country. And as far as refugees and migration, we have a lot of similar views as other callers. I do agree with the vetting process. I do agree there should be um, some screening because we all have families here. We all raise children here. We have the same concerns. So we, I do agree with that. However, um, what I find disturbing is when we all are lumped together in the same category as um, the extremists out there. Um, there's a lot of, what I wish to say is that there's a lot more to us than what the media and what's put out there. So that's what I'd rather say. Okay, that's a really good call. Thank you so much. Um, and attorneys, what do you think uh, can be done to kind of debunk some myths that come along with people who have a certain perception of Muslims and Islam? Uh, do you think it's just a matter of discussion or what c- could be done to kind of combat those uh, blanket statements that are often made? Well, just information and education and enlightenment and, you know, discussion between people. Um, you know, if you know someone in your community who is uh, Muslim, go and invite them to your Sunday school class and uh, ask them to talk about the Koran and what they, you know, believe. Uh, we have uh, in, our, in our community, we, we have a Sikh uh, temple and uh, all manner of people uh, come to that uh, uh, group to um, to to you know observe their religious beliefs and you know just the more people learn about each other, uh, hopefully uh, uh, you know the more educated and informed they'll be. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Thank you, caller Meridian. We appreciate your call. We're going to take a quick break, and we have a few lines open if you want to join the conversation this morning. We're talking about some specific elements of uh, immigration law. We've talked about what a refugee is, who is an, is, is an asylum seeker. Uh, we'll continue talking about that after the break. We'll talk a little bit more about the United States and uh, securing the border with Mexico. If you have any comments or questions, anything you'd like to express, you can call us at 877-MPB-RING. Uh, you can call anonymously if you don't want to give your name. That's perfectly fine. 877-672-7464 is the number. All our lines are currently open. You can also send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent, joined by Professor Richard Gershon, 
of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guests today are attorneys Barry Walker and Gabriella Ungo of Walker and Ungo Immigration Law Firm in Tupelo. And today we're discussing some elements of immigration law, some things uh, you might have heard about frequently in the news. We're talking about what a refugee is and the asylum process, and also talking about the United States and whether or not it has secured its border with Mexico. You can give us a call this morning if you have any questions or comments about this topic, uh, any kind of fears you may have, any kind of concerns, any positive things you want to share, call us at 877-672-7464. We do have a couple lines open. That number is 877-MPB-RING, or you can email legalterms at mpbonline.org. Um, so we had talked a little bit about the vetting process and uh, some screenings that have to happen. Um, are these screenings, do they reach the health level as well? Do health screenings have to be uh, given to those individuals trying to get into the United States? Yes. Um, for refugees, for asylees, and also for other uh, applicants for visas, uh, there's a grounds of inadmissibility to the United States that is a, a health-related ground, so that if a person has TB or HIV, uh, they, they're not admissible to the United States, and they can be, not, be denied a visa. Uh, they, you know, if they want to pursue uh, their entry into the United States, they have to undergo treatment. Um, or uh, there are some waivers in, in some cases, but, but yes, there is a health-related grounds that people have to address before they come to the United States. Um, so what happens um, if someone is granted entry into the United States, and um, what are the grounds for deportation if somebody, if a refugee comes to the United States, um, on what grounds, you know, if they committed some type of act, would they be, um, you know, subject to deportation? Well, everyone who is not a U.S. citizen is subject to, I think there are about 22 grounds for inadmissibility, and a lot of those overlap with the grounds for removal. Certainly, uh, any type of serious crime uh, is grounds for removal from the United States. Um, That's typically uh, what you see uh, in in terms of... um, you know, grounds for removal. Also, if someone violates their status, say, for instance, they come here as a visitor and they overstay uh, their their allotted uh, period of time, they can be removed from the United States um, if they, you know, violate their immigration status. Um, if they abandon their status, let's say they um, are, are here with a, a green card or as a lawful permanent resident, and if they leave and stay gone for more than a year, they can be denied entry uh, to, uh, to the United States. If they assist someone to come to the United States unlawfully, if they engage in terrorist acts, uh, you know, money laundering, um, you know, if they're if they found to be a, a member of a, a, a terrorist group or um, maybe a Nazi uh, group or a communist group, they can be removed from the United States uh, there, there are all, all manner of grounds, you know, by which someone can be removed. If someone lawfully uh, becomes a citizen, a U.S. citizen, that they can't be removed, unless the government determines that perhaps they misrepresented themselves in their application for naturalization. And we've seen this in some of the high-profile uh, cases regarding these these former uh, Nazi concentration camp guards and that type of thing. All right, we have some calls to get to. Betsy is in Clinton with a question. Good morning, Betsy. What do you have for us? Yes, I know um, we're seeking um, legal entry into the United States. 
Um, and, but I wondered, did you have a statistic on uh, illegal uh, immigration or people who enter each year illegally? Well, I can tell you that most of the information that's available seems to indicate that, for instance, uh, illegal entries into the United States from Mexico are drastically, drastically down. Uh, you know, with regard to border security, for instance, there's been a lot of resources, a lot of technology, and a lot of personnel devoted to, uh, you know, sealing or protecting the, the southern border to the extent that it's, you know, practically or, 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 you know, humanly possible, I think the United States government has pretty well accomplished that. Uh, I, I, I've been in it long enough to tell you that there was a time uh, when our southern border was porous, that people could come and go uh, pretty freely. And uh, I used to talk to people that said they went home for Christmas every year uh, to Mexico. and They've been here in the, in the United States unlawfully for years, but they can't do that anymore. Uh, if they go back, uh, it's a very, very high chance that they're not going to get back into the United States. Uh, mm -hmm. There's still situations where people come to the United States with a visa, and they get here and say they're given six months to stay here, and they don't go home. They just stay here, and they, they try to work. Um, you know, Do we have that, a, a that, number? Mm -hmm. um, um, I know you said that 70,000 is what we can admit legally as refugees. Do we have a number right. on, uh, say, for those people who are staying with these, uh, or do we have any clue? Yeah, certainly. Uh, oh, you mean those that overstay? I don't those know those statistics. Or, yes, or enter illegally, or both. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we have a working figure that that most um, uh, people recognize is approximately around 11 million people in the country who have either entered illegally and, and have stayed or they've entered legally and they've overstayed. Let me, okay. let me uh, add a, just a, a little number uh, of the people that are here uh, undocumented or illegally uh, we know that two-thirds, about two-thirds, enter the U.S. with a visa and they uh, overstay their status um, or do something that renders them out of status. And then if they leave the U.S., when they try to come back, they're barred from entry for like three years or ten years, depending on um, <clears throat> how long they stayed. Uh, one third comes through, you know, illegally through the border. So those are mm -hmm. more or less the numbers. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's one million, uh, eleven million total. Um, well, because they've stayed over the years, we haven't seen any immigration reform. People, uh -huh. it's like a snowball effect. Uh, mm -hmm. You enter, and they they normally wait for something, uh, some type of reform. We haven't seen anything since 1997. In, in 1997, some uh, inadmissibility bars were created where uh -huh. if you come to the U.S. Uh, and you stay for more than one year, if you leave and try to reenter, you trigger a 10-year bar from coming in. So those people are thinking, okay, well, let's wait for some kind of law to pass to allow us to go back to, 
to our countries and then re-enter. Um, uh-huh. Those that come here and they're not inspected, they come undocumented, most likely they're going to have a permanent bar uh, if they decide to leave the U.S. So they just stay. Uh-huh. They don't leave. Unless uh, there's a waiver for that, unless they marry, there's a little chance in certain circumstances, and uh, that is when they marry a U.S. citizen. And uh, I'm sorry, that U.S. citizen spouse proves that uh, he or she is going to suffer extreme hardship if they separate from their spouse um, or if they're forced to leave the U.S. with their spouse to the foreign country. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, Betsy, thank you for your call. We appreciate it. Uh, We are going next to Joel in Mississippi who has a question. Good morning. Joel, what do you have for us? Uh, Yes. Um, Hi, thank you for for, um, getting to me. I um, heard earlier that that young men are perhaps screened a little bit harder because they they may not be coming for purely humanitarian reasons. Um, It seems to me that we shouldn't be letting any men unattached men of military age to the country because otherwise we're enabling the um, conflict. We're enabling the uh, bad guys in in their country, um, allowing them to take over easily. What we should be doing is uh, going there and perhaps organizing some of the young men into military units to take back their country or to rebuild it once areas have been cleared. And by taking these uh, young men away. We're taking away the troops and the potential workers to, to rehabilitate the countries they came from originally. And that seems to be an, an enabling factor that's not helping anyone, and it's only making the problem worse. And I'll, I'll get off the phone. Thanks. Okay, Joel, thank you for that uh, comment. Uh, any thoughts on that, attorneys? Well, with regard to refugees, again, I, I think the, I don't have any particular facts uh, as to what percentage of refugees are admitted who, who may be single, uh, unattached people. But by and large, they're, they're mainly family people. Uh, you'll have some people who, you know, uh, say, for instance, a father who will seek uh, entry into the United States. And his family may be back in his home country under very, very dire circumstances, and, and he's trying to reunite his family, and they're trying to come to the United States. But... Um, by, by and large, most of these uh, refugees are, um, you know, our families. But now you have some people who are um, a lot of young men uh, coming from, say, uh, Central America, for instance. They're, they're leaving situations where if they stay at home, they're going to be impressed into gangs. And uh, so, you know, there are a lot of unattached uh, younger males who are seeking to come to the United States because if they stay home, they're either going to have to become a member of a gang or they're going to be murdered. Mm. So, you know, you have that condition, which exists. All right, we need to take our final break. When we get back, we'll get to Anthony and Brookhaven, and we have a few lines open if you want to join the conversation. This morning we've been talking about refugees, uh, the process of asylum, also the, the the border between the United States and Mexico. If you have any comments or questions, there's still some time for you to join the conversation at 877-MPB-RING. We do have some lines open. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We'll be back in just a moment.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent, joined by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And our guests today, Barry Walker and Gabriella Ungo of Walker and Ungo Immigration Law Firm in Tupelo. And today we've been talking about some issues dealing with immigration law. We have a call to get to. Anthony is in Brookhaven with a question. Good morning, Anthony. What do you have for us? Anthony, are you there? Okay, I'm going to put you back on hold, Anthony. We'll see if we can get you back on in just a moment. Um, We mentioned uh, children. We talked a little bit about them, but we can kind of get into that um, as we reach the end of the show here. But how many unaccompanied children are coming to the United States, and uh, what is the U.S. government doing with those children? Well, um, basically these unaccompanied minors or children are coming, like Barry said, from... uh, countries in Central America, Honduras, Salvador, uh, Guatemala, um, and a balance from Mexico. It's 77% of them uh, come unaccompanied, and they're fleeing uh, violence or uh, mostly violence in in, in the gangs in their countries. So uh, as far as the numbers, uh, we saw a rise in 2014. 57,000 came to the U.S. Uh, Then uh, the government, uh, the Obama administration put up a few um, um, just measures to to drop those numbers. In 2015, we saw a drop to uh, 26,000, and uh, uh, the current year we're seeing like around 43,000 unaccompanied minors into the U.S. Enough. I can have a mm, one minute to explain a little bit of the background of this situation. Is um, back in 2008, uh, before the end of the Bush administration, Congress passed a Trafficking Victims Protection Reauthorization Act, uh, which held that uh, children coming through Mexico and Canada were to be transferred to from the Border Patrol to the custody of the Office and Refugee Resettlement, uh, which is an agency which is part of the Department of Health and Human Services. So they were given these uh, children shelter, and according to the law, they had, um, they could, CBP could uh, have the children for in custody for um, 72 hours. <clears throat> before they transferred them to the Office of Refugee, Refugee Resettlement. Um, at this time, uh, children are placed in removal proceedings, but they're, um, they stay at the uh, refugee, refugee Resettlement Office and, and shelters uh, an average of 35 days. Um, they remain under staff supervision at all times, uh, but they also give them to, uh, they, they integrate these children to the local community um, uh, while their immigration court proceeding goes on, which can take years. All right, we're going to try to squeeze in a couple more calls. Anthony is in Brookhaven. Good morning, Anthony. What do you have for us? Yes, ma'am. Hey. I want to ask a question about how many percentage of illegal aliens are working on our farms? 
Okay. Uh, attorneys, any thoughts? I don't have any any figures. Um, it's got to be really a lot of them, right? Well, you I mean, know, uh, bound to be a, a good many uh, undocumented. What I'm, what I'm getting yes, at, sir. I want people to think real close about when they want to send all the illegals home, who's going to pick our vegetables? And, and we love chicken so much in Mississippi. Uh-oh. Anthony? Yes, yes, sir. You know, a lot of a lot of people you see working uh, on farms, and especially, for instance, in Mississippi, in our tree farm industry, those people are actually legal, uh, and they're coming here working in seasonal work. Um, they may come in, uh, well, they work, for instance, in the tree planting industry. They come in November, and they stay till March, and they plant trees, and they prune uh, trees. And in the summertime, they may come and do the pruning and the spraying and that kind of thing. But a lot of people that you see in your local, uh, you know, Walmart store or grocery store, uh, they may look like they're unlawful, but they may be carrying a visa under which they've lawfully uh, entered the United States. And certainly they do provide um, a source of labor that allows us to um, to have, you know, produce and, and such in our, in our stores. Okay, we're going to try to jump to Don and Clinton really quickly. Don, we have less than a minute left. What's your comment? Uh, a quick comment on um, here in the South, we pride ourselves in Southern hospitality, and uh, it says the hospitality state on uh, hospitality hospitality state on my driver's license, and uh, I just think it's a little hypocritical to entertain another idea um, than hospitality. And uh, plus, the xenophobic state doesn't really have a great ring to it. Okay. So thanks, uh, great show. Thanks for opening up the dialogue. All right, Don, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. And to everyone else who called, if you didn't get to call, you can send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Attorneys, thank you so much for joining me this morning, Barry Walker and Gabriella Ungo. And thank you, uh, Professor Richard Gershon, for being on as well. That's going to wrap us up here on In Legal Terms, but stay tuned. Southern Remedy is coming up next. Uh, thanks to Jonas Adams for being my board operator this morning. Kevin Farrell was the call screener. That's going to wrap us up. We'll be back next Tuesday morning at 10 right here on MPB Think Radio.